Hello, friends. Today's guest on the podcast is Blake Kaysen. Blake is a mindfulness and work-life balance coach and the founder of Pivot Wellness. Blake reached out to me about a conversation she thought would be worth having on the show, and I thought it was really interesting. Our conversation was about the relationship that each of us has with climbing, with the exception of the rare professional climber whose life revolves entirely around climbing. Most of us are just trying our best to fit climbing in around the many other relationships and responsibilities we have in our lives, whether that's work or family or whatever. And when we really care about climbing, especially whether that means having goals and training or just needing time out in nature to play and recharge on the weekends, it can be really hard to balance that with all those other things that are important to us. So that's what we talked about. It was important to me going into this conversation that we cover some strategies Blake uses with her clients so you guys have something tangible to take away. And I think she delivered on that. I got a lot out of it, and I think there are some nuggets in this one for everyone, whether you are focused on improving your red point performance or working on overcoming fear or just generally hoping to have a long and happy relationship with this sport we all love. If you want to learn more about Blake or work with her, you can find her at startyourpivot.com. And I'll be sure to link to her and everything relevant we talked about in the show notes. Please enjoy this enlightening conversation with Blake Kaysen. All right, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Hi, Blake. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for being patient this morning. We just uh, <laughs> spent probably half an hour trying to figure out audio quality stuff, but yeah, we did it. Here we are. Yes, we, we did it. We did it, folks. We did it, folks. Just for you. <laughs> I thought we could start with something that you and I haven't talked about yet. I think this might be kind of fun. I reached out to our mutual friend, Mike Doyle, before doing this, <laughs> and I thought you it would be interesting to hear you tell me the story of the first time you ever jugged a rope. <laughs> Um, oh, you know, it's always a decision point before you launch into a story. At what point do you begin the story? When's, <laughs> when's the most interesting to make the arc? Anyways, okay. Um, so the first time I jugged a rope was at the base of a route called the Diamond or the... Sh the Shining. No, no, no. The Shining on the on the feature or the formation, the Diamond. There you the go. The Shining. Nice. Um <laughs> we had, you know, done this long hike and he climbed, Mike Doyle climbed 80 meters of a, I guess, a 14A, I think, and got to the anchors. And then from 80, 80 meters above me, taught me how to jug a line <laughs> um, so that I could get my ass up to him. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was pretty special, like 
you know, being comfortable enough with with Jumars and ropes and systems and things, but deciding while I was learning and while I was doing it, like, okay, well, do I want to be like lashed in or just kind of because I think there are different systems from what he was yelling at me. There are different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I jugged a line. (laughs) That was in the Canadian Rockies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Surrounded by so much choss that I love. (laughs) I love the Canadian Rockies and the Bow Valley. Yeah. God, it is chossy. Yeah. (laughs) to provide a little context for listeners if people have listened to mike doyle's episode they'll know that mike climbed the canadian alpine trilogy maybe two Mm -hmm. summers ago and that's a collection of three 514s in the canadian rockies and he did most of that with sasha de julian i think he supported her on all of her ascents but then he still hadn't sent the shining and was scrambling for a partner and it sounds like you were very generous and supported him (laughs) on like a 18 hour car to car mission and he sent that day yeah he did it was it was a really i mean for me it was a it was a really great gift to be able to just support somebody support somebody that was was like teed up um, yeah which is such a cool place to to belay somebody when they're teed up that's a really Mm, special experience when they're ready to send yeah exactly exactly and that's where he was and he fired it and we kept going all the way to the summit and did a this real it was the first time i'd ever done a tyrulean like that like <laughs> there it was a gap of maybe 30 feet but the sum the two points were maybe 50 feet apart or something so it was like yeah. this really weird super scary tyrulean i mean you're a thousand feet in the air or something yeah yeah so it was in this little cleavage okay. but you're yeah a thousand feet in the air there's probably 70 feet below you into this cleavage and like this like false peak or whatever. Okay. And I remember as we we climbed up to the false peak, we wrapped down and climbed out again. I was like, how how are we gonna how are we gonna get out of this? <laughs> He's like, oh, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He sent yeah. me a, a fantastic video. It's probably only five seconds long, but it's just you <laughs> in the middle of the Tyrolean, and you go, hi. I'm Blake Kaysen, and I'm terrified. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then yep. just burst into laughter. It was, it was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a really fun, super fun day. And for me, a reminder and the experience of climbing is not just about ticking grades or pitches or whatever. That it's I do it because it's fun, and I do mm. it because I've gathered these really special people in my life. And it's really incredible to to watch them send like i mean, i listened to his in his interview mike talks about that similar experience where you know you go through kind of different different stages or different moments in your climbing where you're not at the forefront per se like hmm. you don't have some big objective or or you're just doing it just for the fun of it and in those moments it's really easy to to allow joy for other people to take more of the forefront Mm. Um, that's definitely what that moment felt like for me what made you decide to do it i mean was that kind of where you were at in general when you were up there i imagine that when i think about that that 18 hour car to car day that's a really big sacrifice because not only are you giving up a climbing day but you're probably going to be wrecked for another one or two days after (laughs) that and i'm I'm sure you were up there in the Bow Valley with your own objectives. So what made you decide to do that? Mm, I think mainly because Mike was ready to to fire it and 
had had like a partner switcheroo with his work schedule and he asked and I was like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he and I have been close friends for quite a while and he's supported me. Um, he showed up for me in different ways and it felt like, like it wasn't, that wasn't conscious in the moment, but it was like, oh, you need somebody? Sure. Okay. And mm. I had time. I wasn't, I wasn't in a rush. I didn't have anything teed up. I was just like playing with friends and trying to get out and pull hard. And yeah, it was just because he was my friend and he had like kind of a weird schedule shift and lost his partner. And um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Did you learn things from that day that you think you carried with you moving forward? Definitely. It was it was a reminder and I think maybe tied up just what that experience is like to set your own objectives, your own success per se, your own outcomes aside and it, and like to really show up for somebody, especially in terms of climbing, because I think climbing, it can be fairly subtle that we let go of the reins of our own success. We like do it really pretty reticent or we think we're doing it, but we're not actually. And that was a moment that was like, well, I, I'm just here to like keep up and do the thing. Like, I don't care about anything. I, I want to support him and I want to hold space and have a lot of fun so that we have a fun time to the summit. And he, and like, he has a fun send and I have fun. And yeah, that was, that was, I think kind of like what we're talking about before, just the very intentional, this is about my friend. This isn't mm. about me feeling good or me sending or whatever. It's about, you know, showing up for somebody else awesome. in climbing, which I think, you know, we, we do that in other things, other areas of our life, or I do that. And I, I know other people do. And, but with climbing, it's a fairly individual pursuit. Even when you're on a team, you know, you're, you're a partnership climbing something like you want to send two typically, but to actually set that aside. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is really special when those moments mm -hmm. pop up when we get to do that. Yeah. And it always yeah. seems to come back around, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cool. I thought we could switch over to how you and I connected. So yeah. you reached out to me with an email mm -hmm. that was very interesting. I got, <laughs> I just, you know, you popped up in my inbox one day and Blake Kaysen, mindfulness and work-life balance coach. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I, I, we had never met before. I'd never heard of you mm -hmm. before, your email. And I read through your email and you had some really interesting, you're basically like pitching a conversation to me that you thought would be interesting. And right away reading your email, I totally agreed. I thought it'd be really fun to, to talk about. So yeah. the gist of your email was kind of exploring, wanting to explore the relationship between play and responsibility in our mm -hmm. climbing for those of us who mm -hmm. aren't pro and full-time climbers mm -hmm. and some of your thoughts around cultivating that relationship to make sure that we have longevity in our climbing mm -hmm. relationship. And yeah. yeah, I thought, I thought it would be interesting to have you maybe just speak about, about that, like what it was, maybe what was in that email and what you were excited just kind of in broad strokes to talk about today. Yeah. So the email is inspired like a lot of things just by by listening to the podcast and listening to people talking, people like how the conversations you are having, the conversations um your guests were were having, you know, their side of the conversation and how to me, you know, with my my profession and my experience in in the side of self development, self awareness, things like this, 
I hear a lot of that, of, of what I said in the email, of the relationship these individuals have with climbing and how they're managing it, tweaking it, sometimes totally brushing it off and ignoring it or really leaning into it in different ways and how that space between us and, for example, our sport, but we have this space between us and, you know, anything in our lives, the space between us and our job, the space between us and our kids or whatever, you know, we have these relationships with things in our life. And so how we manage this with, for example, climbing is a, a fundamental way that at least how we feel about it, basically, and how we how we interact with it, how we what we do or don't do or how we feel or don't feel about this thing that climbing that we all, you know, for listening to this podcast, especially put some maybe a lot of importance in. Hmm. And so if this space, you know, you could think about it like a sandbox, if this sandbox that is our relationship with climbing, if it's not being taken care of. That is not going to be a sandbox that we stay in very long or stay in happily very long. Like we're going to want to get out. We're, it's it's not going to be a happy space. Um, you know the the phrase like toxic relationship is is probably thrown around too much, but yeah, it becomes a toxic, unhealthy space, and that is definitely a one way ticket to burnout of anything, but burnout of climbing. Hmm. And so that the balance that we strike as individuals between you know, our greater lives play in responsibility if climbing's probably, for most of us listening, is on the play side in the basic sense. You know, though you have you have a lot of professional climbers on the podcast and in the world that there's more there's definitely an edge of responsibility in their sandbox. If we're not balancing those things in our personal lives or in our climbing, if that balance isn't struck with some some amount of deliberate intention, we can kind of get pushed off course hmm. for, for what we're trying to get out of climbing. Can you give an example of, of kind of a message that you might get from a potential client, someone who's reaching out to you that, like, what are people reaching out to you for? Is it because they aren't happy with how climbing is fitting in their life or they don't know how to fit it in? Or, yeah, what kind of messages do you get from people that lead you down the path towards working with them on this stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question. And there are kind of different uh, expressions of that that I see typically. And climbers aren't the only people I work with. And luckily this is, you know, we can talk about this in, in a lot of aspects of our lives. But when I work with climbers and they, they're wanting, you know, mindfulness, life balance coaching as climbers, well, I see probably two sides or two aspects most commonly. One is I really love it, but I find myself gripped with fear a lot, Hmm. like out of balance, mindless red zone fear a lot. And it's, it hurts me. It affects me negatively. It affects the people around me. That's one that comes up a lot. I think the other one is what you mentioned of how do I fit this into my life? How do I balance this aspect of play with the rest of my life in a way that feels that feels good and that appropriately attends to these other relationships in my life, not just the climbing relationship? Or how do I cycle my priorities in a way that I can prioritize climbing for this chunk of time 
hmm. very deliberately and then cycle back out of that. So that's typically where I end up going with, especially the how do I fit this, is we're often talking about cycling priorities. Bef well, eventually. We, we start with much broader things, but an understanding kind of for both of us setting up what is their landscape. But once we understand the landscape together, we're we're starting to look at like, well, what would it look like to prioritize climbing while still taking care of these other things? But you have this as your priority. And then what does that cycle look like of, you know, say like training, objective, and then cycling into other things, for example. Okay. Because um, for most of us that are not professional climbers, that's a really, really sustainable approach to do a lot of things in our life. But to climbing, for example, for most of us, we can't be climbing, training, like crushing it all year. One, physically, that's really hard. Mentally, that's really hard. But also, like we have other things in our lives that also right. need attention. Right. Yeah. I love that idea of cycling priorities. And I have that written down in my notes. And I actually want to come back to that and dig into that a little bit more deeply. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. let's start with that more kind of upper level, that larger umbrella, like where you start with people. I mean, is it really just a beginning the conversation of exploring mindfulness in climbing and in mm -hmm. all in the rest of our life. Yeah, definitely. And mindfulness in the facet of awareness or self-awareness. Okay. Parts of mindfulness of you know, what is important to me? What are my values? Dialing into the internal mindfulness, the internal landscape of what am I doing here? What am I doing here tied in, chalked up? Like, why do I do that? And <laughs> and once we can, because like, I love the phrase conquistadors of the useless because that's climbing. <laughs> Absolutely. It is fun as shit, but it is not exactly like, doesn't exactly have a point. Right. And, <laughs> and the point of it is, and this is like, I get really excited about this because... There is a lot of beauty in things that don't have a point. Mm. The things that we do because they light us up and they ring us out and they feel good and we learn about ourselves. Like for me, that's personally, that's a that's a huge reason why I climb is one, it's it's really fun. It feels good in my body to climb. But also I learn so much about myself and the world around me and about the potential of being human from climbing. And so so that would be what would come out if somebody explored my landscape. But then we have to, I have to find that with the other person. They have to find that for themselves. So why is this a motivator? What lights you up, turns you on about this, this sport? Because sometimes what happens is we get a little deterred from the things that we actually love about the sport. You know, like I love the adventure of it. I love the sense of physical exertion. I love that, you know, whatever they love, but they might be actually operating and climbing in a way that isn't quite aligned with those main motivators or values. Does hmm. that make sense? Yeah. But do you have an example of that? Yeah. So like if somebody's saying like, I love the adventure and the, the physical exertion and so that's what they that's their some of their main motivators but they're sport climbing at a you know like yeah they're sport climbing at like a pretty like the red river gorge or something yeah exactly exactly <laughs> good example yes yeah. and it's like okay well is that adventurous to you and and that's and 
the beautiful thing about coaching is like, I don't have the answers. I'm just sitting here parsing through the landscape with you because for somebody that might feel adventurous, Mm -hmm. but it's just looking at, okay, these are the values coming up. These are these guideposts for me. Am I actually anywhere near these guideposts or have I gotten deterred from like, well, I don't know. My friends were going to the red or I don't know. I wanted to, I wanted to climb this particular grade and Mm -hmm. the red was in season. It's like, okay, well, Climbing that grade, if that's your motivator, it might be more productive, more aligned to what is, where do you want to climb that grade? Rather than like, I don't know, the red, I guess. Hmm. Like that's probably not a good way to, to stay motivated or stay engaged in something when our needs aren't actually being met or, or even being seen. Hmm. Something that that brings to mind, that this idea brings to mind for me or I guess the way that I experience it from other people a lot is this happens to me quite often, actually. And people will see that I like training, that I Mm -hmm. typically follow a pretty regimented program, that I like projecting things, that I like to try to send my project. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of people recognizing that and then telling me like, oh man, like I really should, I really should be training. I really should be getting out there working on a project. I blah, 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 blah. And I just, every time I'm like, well, I feel like if you wanted to, you would be. And if you don't want to, that's fine. Like go, go easy on yourself. Like give yourself a break. You don't have to want that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that? that, that, Yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because that's typically the kind of stuff that deters us, detours us from these guideposts Mm. we're like oh oh, that's what that person's do okay i guess that's what we do we train hard or i like trad climbing i guess i have to climb in the alpine even though i hate it i guess (laughs) you know like (laughs) (laughs) right in my example you know maybe that person's guidepost is they just like to have fun with their friends and be outside and they get sucked into the the performance and Mm -hmm. the goals and all that other stuff that maybe doesn't resonate as much with them. And I think it can go the other way too. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I'm really inspired to push myself and to see what I'm made of, but what I'm mostly doing is going outside and playing Mm. with my friends, you know, like, and that's kind of that play responsibility within climbing for the average climber is sometimes it feels good to bear down and be like, and see what you're made of hmm. beneath all the beneath the play beneath the pleasure of it yeah i want to see what's out there i want to i want to feel what it's like to to yank on 13 plus and and to actually you know clip chains like whoa i can't even imagine but let me see mm-hmm. um really test yourself yeah exactly and and that's why the self-awareness it's such a freaking superpower it's crazy like when when we can actually understand what's going on inside of us and determine our needs from that, that's really powerful, really, really powerful and would ease a lot of, a lot of suffering in the basic sense. Hmm. Because if you think about suffering in the basic sense, those examples that we gave earlier of the trad climber who is just ends up in the Alpine, like, Though that's actual real suffering, potentially, <laughs> being in the Alpine. That's, a, that's some real climbing suffering. But, it sure is. Um, but, but on the side of like, you know, I'm stuck in play, but I want to be responsible. I'm stuck in responsibility. And I want to be in play. That's a type of suffering that mm. if, we're, if we're not tuned in, 
we we might find that we just feel like hot garbage and we don't know why. And right. That's connected to this brutal self-honesty idea that mm-hmm. you and I talked about mm-hmm. the other day. Mm-hmm. Do you want to incorporate that? I mean, it, it seems yeah. like that mm-hmm. we can really cause ourselves an inordinate amount of suffering when we when we aren't really being honest with ourselves about what we truly want. And right. we're holding ourselves to to someone else's wants or what mm-hmm. we perceive that we should want based on what social media tells us or that sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah, this radical honesty is a... a radical it's honesty. Super on- like yeah, radical honesty. It's a, I'll say it's definitely a skill, like most things, like almost anything I talk to people about. It's very skill-based. You know, we're not... This isn't like, well, I have perseverance and you don't sorry like no it's a skill like learning how to how to be self-aware learning how to be real and honest with yourself like these are just skills and we learn them kind of progressively over time but radical honesty i think how i've experienced and how i see it in people is when we're willing and maybe even there's like a bit of enthusiasm about almost taking ourselves to task hmm. with what we're doing, what need we, we're trying to meet, and if if the things that we're doing are actually meeting those needs. Because every action speaks a need. And the needs can be really simple. Uh, like, I eat because I'm hungry. Or it can be more complex. I eat because I'm bored. And part of radical honesty is is reflecting on on our behavior in some ways, but also our beliefs what are what am i believing about myself what am i believing about the world around me that is fueling this and is that what i actually believe hmm. do i actually believe that the only way to be a climber is to train hard and project okay so that's the undercurrent belief but is that what i believe and so when we take that from you know, to use the psychological term, like from the the subconscious or unconscious, and we lift it up into our conscious mind, then we can be honest with it. Hmm. And part of that honesty is starting to peer into like, what what are my beliefs? What are the thoughts that come up as undercurrents to my choices? And are they actually serving me? You know, and that's another layer of this radical self-awareness and radical honesty is Does that feel good? Does that feel aligned? Does that feel, um, is that working? That's it. I think often a really powerful question that we can ask ourselves. And I often ask my, my clients, is that working? Because I don't know. They have to tell me. And sometimes they don't know. They have to sit down and slow down and reflect to get to that place of radical honesty. I think that's probably one of the main ingredients for honesty in this way is slowing down. So is that working? So for like the the climber who is projecting and training, but really, if they look deeply into themselves, really just want to have a playful relationship with climbing, yeah. that might be, is this making me happy doing this? Right, right. Is this Am actually I... what I want? Exactly. Okay. Am I, do I feel about myself or am I expressing myself in a way that feels authentic. You know, I Mm. I think one really powerful indicator of our relationship with climbing is how do we feel about ourselves and how do we feel about others when we're out climbing? Because we've all, and maybe if you're like me, been the person at the crag who's just like 
grumpy. Like I just, uh, like I'm being hard on myself and I don't, I'm just fussy, like just feel fussy. And it, mm-hmm. and, and that's a really good indicator at, at the time I can, I can say personally, my relationship with climbing was very skewed and I wasn't doing the things that I actually wanted to be doing or maybe wasn't meeting my needs, but I was ignoring that part of myself, that quiet voice in the back of my head. And I was like, well, I guess this is what I do. I freaking project. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all seen a lot of people get to that place. And I think most of us probably have gotten to that place ourselves at one time or another. For sure. For sure. I can certainly relate to that. Um, I like the, is this working question? And Mm -hmm. I want to get to more tangible things in a minute, but (laughs) one one more thing before we do that, I thought it would be interesting to, to kind of share a little bit more of your background and your story. Sure. We were talking on the phone the other day and you were telling me, you said a couple of really interesting things about how you, how you started down this path of Mm -hmm. that led you to the work that you do now. And you said that you had a lot of anxiety in school growing up Mm -hmm. and I'm, paraphrasing a little bit, but I think you said that climbing was the first place where you noticed your mind and your body being in the same place at the same time. Yeah. I thought that was really (laughs) interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started climbing maybe like a lot of people, uh, very recreationally, very like not that much for a long time. And it, it was just something fun. It was, it was like going for a bike ride. It was just fun. Just go get out. And it wasn't a big deal. And it was very, very peaceful. But I, and so that's what I started has noticed at that point was before there was any baggage around climbing, it was a space where my mind was really calm. I could get into my body, which as somebody who's danced and done yoga for a dozen years at that time, like it felt really good and it, and it felt like being in my body in a, in a really novel, beautiful way. And at the beginning, that was when I, I first started experiencing it. And then as I started getting more and more into climbing, climbing became, there became more pressure that I put on myself and I felt, or I, I created a sense of pressure from the climbers around me. Um, I was around a lot of really, really strong, some a lot of professional climbers at that time. And even still, like off the rock, I you know, lots of anxiety and uncertainty and pressure and, and self-judgment about myself as a climber that sort of like slowly grew. Mm. And I started noticing that climbing stopped being a place that quieted my mind down because this baggage, because my relationship with climbing at the time was not taken care of, was not mindful. Mm. And, you know, through this trajectory of like, wow, I feel almost like I hate climbing and that's (laughs) not what I want. Or I don't actually hate climbing, but I'm sure as hell feel like it a lot of the time. And it looks like it. Getting radically honest with myself ultimately and looking at like, what is amiss here? Why does this not feel as good in my body? Why is my brain more racked with fear, even though, you know, that wasn't the case before? And through that and and really diving into like, I want to climb. I love, I love this sport. I love the movement of it. I love the potential of it. Like there's so, there's so much. And it was like this Hail Mary, like, okay, 
well, what do I need to do to change this, to connect with climbing in a different way? And that's when I kind of returned to that sense of peace with it, peace with myself and as a climber. And again, brain and body back in the same place, same time. And still, that's something that is a, a really powerful indicator for me is climbing as far as like the state of my presence in the world in that time or in that day or in that moment of like, is climbing actually a soother for me? Or is it a space where I'm feeling anxious or feeling judgmental or whatever? So it's a for me is a it still continues to be a really effective, I guess, kind of barometer. Hmm. Are there things that you've learned to do, anything that you tell yourself to help you snap back into that present moment when you realize that you've slipped away from that, when you've yeah, let expectations definitely. or other things creep yeah. in? Yeah, definitely. What does that look like? Um, typically, it's very kind of embodied or what you call like somatic. I tune into, like if, if I'm actually climbing... I tune into like shape and orientation of my body and start paying attention to posing as best as I can and moving in a way that feels really fluid and, and feels really good. Cause that's something that I like in climbing is like, you can yank your way up, but I'm not strong. So I, I have to like kind of finesse my way up. And so I, I tune more into the body positioning and the finessing and whatever, and definitely tune in with, with my breath. I think those two things, kind of the somatic embodied approaches of actual my body as a whole. And I basically like, I'm stopped being a floating head at that point with <laughs> no body. And I, I reattach my brain to my body and start taking a few breaths. Those, those are things, especially the, the breathing. Breathing is something, um, even just taking a full inhale, exhale is for me a really powerful reset. Um, because hmm. basically you're you're always breathing the breath of this moment. You're never breathing a breath of the past or the future, which is typically where our mind goes. Hmm. So if I'm focusing on my breathing, I can confirm that I am my mind is in the present moment. And even just that that return, walking the path back to the present moment is powerful enough for me to come back into what am I actually thinking? What am I actually feeling? Is that true? What do I need right now? Things like that. Hmm. But, you know, before those moments, I'm often, you know, I'm in the past, I'm in the future, I'm, yeah, carried, carried away by my thinking mind. Is there anywhere specific that you're focusing your mind as far as your breath goes? Are you focusing on like the feeling in your belly or the sound of it? Or how do you think about that with people? It depends on the person. For me, I'm typically thinking about how pleasant it feels to breathe. Hmm. For for me, that's like all, that. almost always what comes up where I'm like, oh, that feels really, it just feels really good to, <laughs> to breathe and to, um, yeah, I don't know. That, that's, it feels really, really, really pleasant. I think for other people, and I teach a lot of meditation and mindfulness and teach a lot of it. I think probably the, well, in my experience of teaching meditation, there are a lot of people that have labeled themselves as not good at it. And so those are the folks that I like to work with the best because I'm also not good at meditation. I meditate <laughs> every day, but I, I don't know. I don't know what being good at meditation is, but I know what practicing it looks and feels like and means. So hmm. other folks like 
focusing on just the body sensation of like belly moving or trying to draw their breath down to their belly, the sound of it, anything that gets you into your senses. All those things are happening in the moment. And that's often a really, a really effective, you can call it like a code switch is a linguistics term. Like one language to another is called a code switch, mm-hmm. but it would be like switching code from the past that I was thinking about to the code of the present. And that it can be a really powerful code switch hmm. of um, the breath is. Yeah. Okay. Let's dig a little bit deeper into some of the tangible stuff, because I really want to make yeah, sure yes. that this is a, a conversation that everyone can take something tangible away from. And I kind of want to explore, I mean, feel free to throw this out the window if you have a, a different approach that you want to take. <laughs> but I was thinking we could talk about two kind of main things here. We already talked about radical honesty as a mm-hmm. skill. And I'd be curious to dig into how you help people cultivate that or what people can do to develop that skill. And then you've also, you and I talked on the phone the other day and you had this idea of mindfulness as a muscle. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear how you help people build and train that muscle of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So let's, maybe let's start with the mindfulness. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's, that's something I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about is mindfulness because it was so fundamental in my life. And as I continue to work as a coach, I've been coaching for or using the tool of coaching in uh, different capacities for a long time. And what I've seen from most of the people that I work with is that what I saw in myself is absence of self-awareness and just sort of going with the current, even if the current wasn't working for them, going with the current of worrying or going with the current of a certain lifestyle or whatever, and not ever being aware of how it was impacting them. Hmm. So I I use mindfulness and talk about it like a muscle because very, very few of us are taught how to pay attention in the simplest sense. We're not really taught how to pay attention. And as such, that muscle of attention is very, very weak. And you could you call it a muscle or just what's actually happening is kind of that pathway that neurologically in your brain is very weak. Uh, it's there because it's a human capacity. So it's there in your brain. It's just incredibly weak. Like the connection from point A to point B hasn't been made in a long time because you were definitely def- mindful when you were a kid hmm. uh, because it's a natural human tendency. And so the muscle is essentially walking the path from wherever your brain was in the past or the future back to the present moment and continuing to walk that path. Every time you get deterred, you walk that path back. So ways that I support people in developing that is often where I start with people, especially if they are operating under the belief that they're not good at meditating, that they can't quiet their mind, which I can totally relate to. It's it's a belief that I held for a really long time, is have them start by paying attention to their senses, to the world around them, to the present moment in a place where it's really pleasant, where it's really easy and you want to pay attention. Hmm. So like a park or with your kids or 
looking at something small that you think is beautiful, like a flower or something, whatever it is, like going to a place and practicing the skill, flexing the muscle of mindfulness where it's relatively easy. But if they are like most people, it's still not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier. And so in that way, we we continue stressing the muscle of mindfulness, like little by little, because we want to we want to get outside of the comfort zone, but not go total red zone. And that's mm. one way to get started. Do you want me to keep going and saying more about that? No, that that's great. I had I just had okay. one thought I wanted to fill in with that. Maybe just yeah. in case people aren't familiar with mindfulness, just more generally as a as a concept, and maybe what it's useful for or what it is helpful with in a very day in day out kind of tangible, you know, way of thinking about it. Mm. You mentioned, you know, it's it's really a process of pulling your mind from either the the future or from the past into the present. And mm -hmm. a way I think about that is like, if you're in the future, that might be being caught up in expectations or anxiety mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. worry about, you know, maybe anxiety about sending your project or worry mm -hmm. about, you know, getting <laughs> your work done before the weekend or whatever it is. And then the past might be disappointment in your performance lately mm -hmm. or or even depression or mm -hmm. you know things like that and, and, you know mindfulness at least for me has been an incredibly incredibly helpful tool for for stopping those patterns of thought you know like when i feel yeah. bummed out about when i feel disappointed about my climbing lately or things like that or if i'm caught up in expectations about how i think i should be climbing those are both kind of different expressions of of simply not being present, not being where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and one thing that I think could be added because that that was such a great explanation and summarization is that mindfulness isn't you have no past and you have no future. Mindfulness is intentionally either reflecting or envisioning, but doing it on purpose. Because hmm. one of the things you said was kind of getting wrapped up. That's one of the distinctions okay. is when we're not aware of thinking about the past or thinking about the future, that's the what I call mindlessness is just the kind of the other side of the coin. Hmm. Because I think as and I've, I've taught a lot of mindfulness in the corporate setting and it's it has has definitely evolved how I talk about it and explain it in like the kind of definitions because, you know, like these corporate folk that have never talked about it or heard about it, they're like, so wait, I can't think about the past. I'm like, ah, good point. Yes. <laughs> because we, it's important to reflect on like, oh, last weekend did not, you know, like that last burn did not go how I wanted it to go. Mm. And it's not just like, okay, that didn't happen. It's okay. What happened? Tuning into the mindfulness of reflection, hmm. tuning into the mindfulness of visualizing and goal setting ahead of you, but doing so in a way that is deliberate okay. rather than rather than happening around you. Just getting lost in disappointment. Exactly. Like that. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really cool. One more thing I want to maybe expand on with the same idea real quick is... I'm sure that there's some people out there that are really into this sort of stuff and maybe already practice mindfulness through meditation apps or things like that. For some people, it's probably going to feel pretty woo-woo and feel like <laughs> just us talking about feelings and 
And maybe it's not readily obvious like how it's relevant to climbing performance or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, it really is the same thing that climbers, most climbers are really familiar with when we talk about letting go. Like when you're struggling yeah. with a project, for instance, and you know, you're, you've grooved this pattern of falling on the same move 20 times yeah. and all this doubt is creeping in, expectations are really hard to manage. You know, we've heard it so many times from Chris Sharma, from top climbers. It wasn't until they mm-hmm. like finally let go of the thing that they were free enough to climb it. Yeah. And it seems that that's really kind of what you do in your work yes. is, is help people yeah. learn how yeah. to do that. And cultivate that muscle or or strengthen that muscle to be able to do that. Yeah, so well put. And so real, I think, for a lot of climbers uh, when we get to these, you know, invisible, formless barriers. And we're like, why is this happening? Um, (laughs) It's often is there becomes a need for mindfulness. You know, it's not, it's not happening out of nowhere. It's, there's some, some mechanism internal or external. Um, and so when we start to pay attention and, and even the term mindfulness I've, I've started using, especially when I work with corporate folks is just paying attention. Hmm. If mindfulness doesn't resonate with you, which I get paying attention, paying more attention, being more aware because um, hmm. those are aspects of mindfulness. There's definitely more than just awareness and attention. But if the if that language doesn't resonate, find a word that does. Because what you're saying, it is so relevant. I, I want to hear more of the steps that you work on with people to practice mindfulness and grow this muscle of mindfulness. But I thought it'd be fun to maybe use a couple real life examples, you know, maybe some of the most common ones that we see in ourselves or in, you know, people at the crag. Yeah. Let's take a person who is really, really fixated on a project. They're the really Mm -hmm. driven climber, the type of climber that's listening to podcasts like this and writing notes (laughs) about all the training stuff. They just want to send so bad. And it seems like very often that person's greatest mental hangup is going to be expectations, you know, and I've, I've certainly been there so many times. Like you're the person tied in, chalked up at the base of your route and you just want it so bad. And you know that you need to let go of it a little bit to perform your best and to just be calm and in the moment. But all of that pressure is just sitting on your shoulders if someone came to you like that, you know, you had a new client and that's what they were dealing with. What would be the steps that you would take them through to start practicing mindfulness? Yeah. Oh man. That's such a, just a, just feeling and reflecting like that's such a cool moment. It's hard and it can be really frustrating, (laughs) Yeah. but kind of like what we're talking about with, with Mike and my first jugging experience, like it's so, it's so cool to be teed up on something (laughs) as much as we're often like, yeah, but I want this over with. (laughs) I want the, the carrot. Yeah. I I just remembering and feeling that moment in myself, but, Hmm. and that leads to probably where I would start. If somebody was coming, they're like, I'm in my own way with my expectations about this route. And I would slow them down. I probably wouldn't necessarily like have them start reflecting or whatever on like diving in honestly to what goes on in the moment. I would back up a few paces and with them start to kind of 
savor the just climbing for them overall. Hmm. That's a really powerful mechanism. Savoring, savoring is um, basically like awareness or mindfulness plus positivity. Okay. Um, yeah, it's I like a, that. Yeah, really, really, really powerful tool. Like, actually, super positive outcomes when we step into savoring. Um, so I would, I would step back with them, start looking at climbing their climbing experiences in a lot of ways, like just redirect the attention from this like fixated point. Because when we get like that, we're kind of like strangling it. So like, let's release the strangle. And we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about climbing, we're gonna tune you back into what you love about climbing, like what brought you here to this moment of strangling this route. And <laughs> because I love that imagery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just like, because I, I think that happens a lot for us. We're like, I love, oh my God, this route is so cool. It's so fun. Oh my God. I'm so close. <laughs> now I will do the route. <laughs> and we like, we totally fly off the handle. It happens. It's really, uh, I think seductive to think mm. that we can just like, if I just grip harder on, on what I want, it will happen as opposed to stepping back and being like, well, is this tension what this route needs? Is this hyper-focus what this route needs? But we get into, you know, talking about kind of like the muscles, we really strengthen one muscle of like, I have to be super super bear down on this and like sometimes that really works but it, mm. it is not a, it is not a panacea it is not a cure-all for everything so anyways i would i would get them to kind of step back start to savor start to just loosen the grip on this route on projecting on whatever but just just get them talking about into the experience of why the hell they're there because like we talked about before it is important and it teaches us a lot about about things, but if we put too much responsibility, then the balance is off. So, hmm. so alleviating the responsibility, stepping into some play, some savoring, some gratitude, and then starting to kind of walk them in a little bit closer to like, well, what, you know, what was some of your inspiration for this season? What was some of your intentions? What, what have you been looking to grow in your climbing and continue kind of walking in a little bit closer? What, what did you like about this route? talking about the first experiences with it. Um, what have you learned from this route? So again, so this is a lot of this is, so it's, there's some, some positivity, some gratitude, which opens up our brain and we can see things more broadly. And also it taps into a growth mindset, which is mm. also very broad. All systems are online when we're in a growth mindset, when we're in a gratitude mindset, as opposed to when we're in that like stranglehold a lot of systems are down in our brain, like our prefrontal cortex, the one that that's all of our higher level thinking, the one that doesn't develop till we're 26. All that stuff is like, it's off. It's no, no function or very, very, very little function. You're probably more in like your limbic emotional system or maybe in your amygdala, which is like your survival system. Hmm. Especially if we're in like a really tight stranglehold, we're probably more in survival system. So opening up their brain, getting all systems back online, and and getting getting the experience of thinking about talking about this route with all systems online. That for a lot of people, even if we just get there, and I just leave them with the experience of their prefrontal cortex being back, 
their higher brain being back communicating with them, they'll, th things will come up on their own. I'll hmm. walk away and they'll just keep chewing on the idea, but with their whole brain functioning with them. And, you know, that's a lot of that is mindfulness or, or attention or awareness or whatever. When we're in a mindful state, what's often happening is our whole brain, all can simplify it to three parts. All three parts of the brain are going to be functioning in cohesion, but it's going to be led by our prefrontal cortex. Hmm. And then from there, you know, if we're still continuing to meet and they're in their prefrontal cortex, we'd start to look at like, well, wh how, what is what is the approach that you're what's the the intention or the energy or the the meaning that you're putting up to this route right now? And they might say something like, I don't know, I just want to do it or they might not quite be aware. Uh, so we might have to step back and look at like, okay, well, how do you feel about this route? I don't know. I'm kind of pissed at it. Like I've had that experience with the route where I'm like, I kind of hate this route. Like yeah. I feel like this route is pushing me around. Yeah. Um, I want to be and, done uh, so I can get away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm sick of this freaking thing. I hate those two cramps. They yeah. hurt. Whatever. And so uh, starting to look at like, what are the beliefs coming up? Beliefs about yourself, beliefs about the route. Because sometimes we, we shine the light of awareness and give some, some kindness, like a, a safe place to start talking about these things. We're like, well... You know, I never really expected I would do this this grade anyways. So, mm. you know, every time I tie in, I think, like, how, how am I ever going to – like, I'm, I'm never going to climb this. Obviously, here I go, not climbing it. Hmm. Um, and so – so starting to look at like what are the what are the beliefs and that definitely takes some time and it's always hard talking about these things because it's because it's like oh yeah well then we talk well, then we uncover their beliefs but sometimes <laughs> that takes a long time uh huh yeah I listened to the episode you did with Chris Caloose on the Normal Cast yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. link to that in the show notes but you guys <laughs> yeah. did the five why exercise yeah with yeah. Uh, with one of his self limiting beliefs and that was yeah. Really, really interesting. I would definitely yeah. recommend that to people <laughs> mm -hmm. if they want yeah, to hear yeah. a tangible example yes. of that. Yeah. Is that kind of what you would do in that scenario is mm -hmm. like go through the five whys with, some, with somebody? Mm -hmm. and... Possibly if they are in like they're, if they are actually in their prefrontal cortex and they're not having an emotional reaction where they're still like, I don't know, I just don't want to I don't want to keep falling there. So mm. that that would cue me in like, OK, they're in an emotional state. We need to. Th those emotions probably need some attention okay um, because listeners you all have emotions even if it's not even if you're uncomfortable with the woo-woo and the, they're talking about feelings like we all have them <laughs> and they're all there we just like are pushing mute on them sometimes right um sorry to be <laughs> well, a buzzkill for some of you guys <laughs> we're probably letting them run our lives most of the time without realizing it right <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, that's what we're talking about. This very hypothetical. I've never been this person before on a route that's frustrated by their by their project or whatever. So if they were in their prefrontal cortex, they were in their broad mind, they're feeling safe, they're feeling you might say like grounded, they aren't feeling emotional. Just kind of grounded might... and analytical. <clears throat> Yeah, then they can start to to the the phrase I use with Chris and use a lot is like we start to lay the cards out on the table mm. because then they can start to look at them with more objectivity okay. um, and lay the cards out on the table. I'm like, well, okay, so what do you think is the main the main feeling or the main belief that comes up? And they're like, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but I just want to do it. Like, okay, well, what's so important about doing it? They're like. And then we, we kind of keep peeling back from there. What's so important about doing it? 
um, because I worked so hard on it. Why is that an important reason to do the route? Well, people have seen me working so hard on it, and it's embarrassing that it's taken me this long. Hmm. I've definitely had that experience. Totally. Okay, what does it mean for people to think that about you? And like, well, you know, they, they think I have no right to climb that grade. Okay, is that true? Is that true that people will think that and that you have no right to climb that grade? And they're like, well, maybe. Okay, sure, maybe it's true. How does it affect you to believe that? So this is a series of questions by Byron Katie. <clears throat> okay. Um, what, is the, what is the belief? Is that true? Can you absolutely be sure it's true? Okay, how does it, even if it's true, it doesn't matter. How does it affect you to believe that? Hmm. When you trim things down to that, where it's like, okay, sure, it's true. It's true people are judging me, because I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe they're climbing a bunch of jerks. I don't know. <laughs> um, even if it's true, even if the thought is true, how is it impacting you? Is it is it moving you towards the outcomes that you're seeking? Is it moving you away from it? Is being attached to that belief working, basically? Hmm. Um, because if something like that's coming up, like, well, they'll judge me. For most people, you can find a context where that belief wouldn't hold water. Like, well, they'll, they'll judge me that I can't climb this route. Okay, that's painful. But for most of us, if the potential for judgment about like, I don't know, the kind of dog we have, we're like, I don't care. So, so it's not, not a overarching belief, but in this situation, that belief has a lot of power. Okay. And so in this situation, injecting mindfulness and also gentleness with ourselves that it's not like, Oh, you're freaking idiot. Like, why do you care about this? Like, Hmm. Like it's okay. It's okay to care. It's okay to be yeah, wrestling with this stuff. For sure. And yeah. it's okay. And it's okay to have not noticed it. Hmm. And, and then to notice it and be like, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I, um, it's okay if they, if they judge me, you know, they might still be, and that isn't super comfortable, but there is a heap, a growing heap of research around, we're, ta we're essentially talking about compassion or kindness. Mm -hmm. There's a growing, growing amount of research around compassion and kindness that when we offer compassion to ourselves, like in a situation like that, it is incredibly empowering, incredibly motivating. We think it's more motivating to be mean to ourselves, hmm. but the research demonstrates it will bring us short-term gains, but the long-term gains it will be bad. And you can imagine it like if you were to just be like, think of like a kid, like if you were to just pound on a kid, you're like, you suck. You're not good. How do you think? Why do you act that way? Blah, 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 blah. Like you might get them at the onset to do what you want them to do. But maybe we've seen or experienced that that kid's not going to be psyched. They're not going to be like a happy, motivated kid in the long term. Right. So we're, we're the same. To ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's there's oh my gosh there's so much there that's really great. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to bring up really quickly, this kind of as a tangent, when you were talking about the speaking very generally the three parts of the brain, mm -hmm. it was interesting when we talked the other day on the phone. You were sharing that there's actually been a lot of research and science confirming that that this isn't just some theoretical thing. Like this is being studied and it's really mm -hmm. showing up in the physiology as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking about how our body impacts our thoughts and feelings right that's and what how 
Yeah. And how like when our body senses we're not safe. So say like, I'm not safe because these people are judging me. That can definitely put us in a in like our survival brain Mm -hmm. um, because evolutionarily uh, social acceptance was huge. That's why we struggle with embarrassment and shame is because we want to be socially accepted. If you get ostracized Um, from the tribe, then you might die. mm -hmm, That sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where, you know, I I can't remember some neuroscience of many neuroscientists said like we have old hardware, new software. Mm. Our brain is very, very archaic. And we're ask, we're now having to learn how to operate it in a very new system. Hmm. So so if we start if we sense I'm not safe, like I think maybe a really going back to our our example of um, you know uh, hell bent on sending a route and all the expectations. If we walk up to that route and that route for us is loaded with baggage and and negative emotions and we get up to it and our body's tense and like we you know if you feel short of breath and like we sense the people around us don't care about us like our body is going to start telling our brain abort mission this is not safe. And with that being said, it's no wonder we get up and punt. Hmm. Like it's it's no wonder that we like thinking of the the route that I had this experience with most poignantly was like, it was no wonder I got up to the head wall and could never remember my feet because that head wall in my brain and my body was determined to be the scary part, hmm. even though it was no more scary or run out. It was more insecure, but it was no, it was no more, the falls were no more dangerous than anything on the lower half. But my body was sure telling me something different because mm-hmm. that was like when I looked at that route, I was like, oh, God, I'm at this part again. Almost every time I'd get up there, I'd look up and I'd think that I'm like, uh, and then sure enough, I couldn't remember my feet and I'd fall. Interesting. Yeah. So what did you do? <laughs> so for me, this is an example of how I at the time articulated my relationship with climbing. So it was this route called Joe six pack at the VRG. And actually I climbed with Mike a bunch on this route and he was, yeah. he was helpful in parts of it. Um, Cause he's really good. He talked about this in the interview. He's really good at helping people find out what's wrong with them. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he's he, a good coach. Cause he's an asshole. I think is yeah, how he said it. Yeah. <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he is really helpful. He he is. He is. He yeah. is a really talented climber. He has a lot of what I think is is maybe the heart of climbing is like as we develop this climbing library, like beta library mm. and movement library. His is really big. Mm-hmm. So I had worked on this route for what felt like for me a long time. People, I kept hearing from people like, "Huh, you haven't sent that thing yet. You're way stronger than that route." Which I was oh, like, "Shut up." That's horrible. <laughs> that's I a horrible it. thing to hear. I know. Oh, I hated man. it. And that was one of the reasons why I was like, "Whoa, this thing." I kept telling people, "I was like, Joe and I have a very tough relationship right now," because um, that's how it felt. I felt like I'd get up there and Joe would push me around, and it got to the point where. There's a a big break. I don't know if you know this route, but there's a big break in the middle of it. Um, okay. the, it's basically I, my friend Rosie describes this two twelve C's on top of each other, mm. but it goes at thirteen A. And the first section I had worked on, it took me some time to get all the beta, figure out which tiny feet was suited for me being short. 
But after, well, I don't know, like five or six days or something, I had that bottom part like totally dialed. No more grunting. I would just like swing through it, had a great time. And then I'd get to the break and I'd look up and I'd be terrified. So one day I came back and I was, again, <laughs> somebody was like, did you send? I was like, don't ask me that question because I didn't. <laughs> and I went back and I was like, I was building my business at the time, like starting my private practice. And I was like, I need something different from climbing right now. Hmm. Climbing is not my classroom right now. My classroom is this business and all that that means to me and all, all of the creativity and pressures and uncertainty and beauty of building this business was was really where I wanted to be learning and growing. And I wanted climbing. I needed, I needed climbing to hold a different space for me at that time. Mm -hmm. So I did not get back on that route. I was like, I, I wanted, I just okay. want to go play. I want to go. I went on like a tear of on-siting through, this is in the Utah Hills, just like on-siting, running around. Like, I was like, I, I don't need this right now. And Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do. It That's is. One of the, that it might is. be the hardest thing to do in climbing. Yeah, it was. It was really hard because now I have to go back and figure out all that beta again. <laughs> 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 Which actually I was thinking this summer, I was like, what am I motivated by? Because for me uh, and maybe for the listeners... That's how I get stuff done. Like, I don't mm. train if I don't have anything that's motivating me. Like, I can't be bothered. I, I just don't care about training enough unless there's something motivating me. And th those are the times I've had the most fulfilling training cycles and objectives is when it was like, that route is cool. Or hmm. that, whatever it is, I'm mostly a route climber. Like, it's beautiful or it's this mega classic, whatever. And as I, I was thinking the last few weeks, I was like, what do I want to do with the fall? And the and for me, being in Utah, I can climb in the winter. So, like, what do I want to do this winter? And I was like, Joe, me and Joe, <laughs> we're going to go go do this dance Round again. Two. Yeah. Yeah, for tango. sure. And it's going to be hard. I'm not as yeah. – I'm not as um, – right now, I'm not as fit as I was then. But I also have, like, six months. So, we're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I uh... – I want to jump back one step. We talked about the climber who is hell-bent on sending, has expectations, mm -hmm. and that's what they're dealing with. And, and that was really great, talking through yeah. how you would help that person. Mm -hmm. Does it change at all for someone who is trying to deal with fear? Mm. Maybe a more specific example. They're trying to lead something maybe they're new to it maybe they've been lead climbing forever and it still just freaks them out or mm -hmm. they're or maybe they're on a, a particularly intimidating route mm -hmm. um yeah and that's like the common thing that that person's dealing with is there anything different to the approach that you would take with that person well one thing before before i launch in most things especially like even the person that's that's wrapped up in expectations, that's a fear too. Hmm. Most thoughts, beliefs, feelings boil down to some sort of fear. And we don't always, it, though it helps, we don't always have to get down to what the fear is. Like sometimes we can, we can stay in the middle level and, and see like, well, I think they'll judge me um, without having to go deeper into that. But fear is a really powerful driver, you know, um, yeah. So, but for somebody that's afraid, you're saying more afraid of falling? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, they're, the fear that they're experiencing in that moment directly because of the climbing, because of being right. above their bolt or whatever is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is keeping them from being able to perform. For that, I'd probably suggest, I'd probably suggest something a little bit more embodied. Like if they're, if they're in a physical fear space of like, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I'd probably have them, and this is something that Arno Ilgner talks a lot about in Rock Warriors way, but I'd probably point them to some of those exercises of just desensitizing that fear, kind of like what we're talking about before, in ways that are comfortable at the onset or slightly uncomfortable at the onset. So like, go take practice falls at increasing length, you know, like from below the bolt and then increasingly above the bolt. Mm. And just just play like one of his suggestions that I use a lot personally is taking warm up falls. Hmm. So shaking that out of your body, because, again, that's a, that's a body fear thing. So it's, it is it is different than the climber we were talking about before, because it, it's more embodied. It's more like actual safety. OK, um, but you talked about this before, you know, when you <laughs> I feel like sometimes it can happen where we. Uh, what's the word like where falling becomes part of our beta yeah you know yeah <laughs> which is so freaking annoying yeah. but sometimes it happens and maybe you've seen it or experienced it yourself but it's always a, a strange thing I, i've definitely i've seen it more with other people than myself but it's uh so so starting to change that pathway in your brain from it's like kind of like if then trajectories in our brain so if that what's strong the muscle that's strongest right now is when i feel insecure in an insecure climbing move above my bolt i tense i don't breathe i um whatever like i'm not as mindful of a climber in that moment Mm. by these things Mm -hmm. like that's the trajectory when i feel insecure climbing i get tense i don't breathe and i and um i start imagining how it's going to hurt if I fall. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's the, the muscle that you've strengthened. So starting to strengthen a different muscle just through practice, through through taking practice falls, through taking bigger practice falls, through, you know, on s- steep rock, um, with a belayer you trust more, like maybe that's it. But starting to play around and collect data on, well, what is the scary thing about this? And start to challenge it, basically. Like that thought has been allowed to run on autopilot and it's gotten very strong. So okay. we're going to we're going to challenge it, um, see if it holds water. Okay, this is actually dangerous. I could actually get hurt because there's a ledge. Okay, so then then you get to decide like how you want to interact with that with mm-hmm. that route. If it's especially if you've determined it's actually dangerous. Yeah. Let's say in this scenario, it's it's not. It's, it's uh-huh. you know, the person knows deep down that it's irrational fear that they're totally going to be safe. Maybe it's the Red River yeah. Gorge and they're just going to whip into space or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the same, just like taking practice falls, being aware of the thoughts that come up when they're on what they determine as only slightly uncomfortable falling situation. And in that moment, I think one one thing that I could add to Arno's approach and Arno's drills, because his drills are very much more physically based, mm-hmm. is adding in like, what are the emotions coming up? What are the thoughts coming up? And mm. especially if you're in in a, a space where you can reflect, like, what are those thoughts? And then being aware, like, huh, wow, I thought the thought that came to my mind is I'm going to break my ankles. Like, that's 
that's not likely, especially because hmm. I have a good belayer or whatever. And just kind of continuing to, to play with bringing awareness and then gently stretching kind of the muscle of mindfulness, the muscle of how you actually want to interact with this this route in this in this uh, the part of this route like okay i need to be relaxed here i need to like execute these foot moves and practicing that like even if it means you top rope it or clip whatever you do like starting to to practice to retrain that part of your brain so that when you get to that part of the climbing you're starting to create a, a new waterway that is when I get to that part of my climbing, I take two deep breaths, I look at my feet, I readjust this hold, and I, you know, whatever, and I dead point to this next move. And that's what you do instead of when I get to this part of the climbing, I stop breathing, I tense up, I look down, whatever. Does that <laughs> okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just slowly training, giving your mind something else to focus on and, and mm -hmm. slowly strengthening that. Yeah. That new yeah. Focus. And okay. And it you can practice it on the route or it could be something that you're practicing just at home in your exploration of mindfulness and attention off the rock. Okay. Um because the the likely one of the beautiful things to me about climbing and why I coach around climbing and ha and have retreat plans in the works around climbing is it is such a powerful way to see yourself. And, you know, we are on the rock in the same way we are in the rest of our lives. So mm. if if fear and uncertainty is pushing you around on the rock, it's probably doing the same thing in other areas of your life that have the similar sort of weight or whatever for you. Mm. I want to come back around to the idea of cycling priorities. The premise of this conversation really was to look at our relationship with climbing as, you know, for everyday people that aren't pro climbers, full-time climbers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. how do we balance that? How do we find the work-life balance that we want with it? And you were talking about the way that you cycle your priorities and what that looks mm -hmm. like. And it really resonated with me. And I want to kind of share some of my notes here and feel free to yeah. correct me. Yeah, but yeah. you were saying that like, you kind of have three priorities in your life right now. And you feel like you can only ever really focus or give attention to like two of them one or maybe two of them. And I think you said your romantic partnership and mm -hmm. climbing and business mm -hmm. and the romantic partnership kind of stays fixed and you try to give attention to that all the time. And then the climbing and the business, you kind of cycle those back and forth in these two or three month cycles. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting to me, to me because, <laughs> um, you know, my hope in doing what I'm doing now, obviously like I really want to, I, I really love having these conversations and I hope that this information helps people. Like that's really what I'm doing. But of course I am just genuinely curious about this stuff and I want to know for mm -hmm. myself too, you know, like I want to learn these mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and apply them to my own climbing and setting out on this, on this journey, doing this podcast, I really felt it was important to me to try to be my own success story. Like I wanted to be the person that was actually implementing things that I was learning, using that to become a better climber and then showing people like, like if you apply this stuff from these people that are really good, like it really works. Yeah. And, and the podcast is going really well. I'm having so much fun doing it and it's so gratifying, but 
I've never been less focused on my own climbing <laughs> in yeah. my life. And that's been a really interesting thing to realize like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm finally living in a van and traveling and and climbing outside a lot. And obviously this is all layered on top of a global pandemic, which none of us saw coming. So that's kind of, <laughs> that kind of threw a general curveball at me, you know, with, with all this stuff. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm realizing really quickly, like, wow, I cannot give my full attention to this podcast and also give my full attention to my own performance and development as a climber. Yeah. And, and that's, What's really interesting and what kind of struck me as we were talking on the phone the other day is that I know that. And mm -hmm. I think I told you, like, if I had to pick one right now to the complete exclusion of the other, I would choose the podcast. Like, I would keep mm -hmm. working on this podcast if it meant I couldn't climb at all for the next year or however long. Because I just totally love doing it. And it, it just feels... I'm so grateful for this way to contribute, you know. Yeah. And I don't have to do that. I can balance the both of them to some extent. And it's really mm -hmm. interesting to me that, you know, I know that I'm happier now doing this than I was three years ago when I was working a job that I didn't really like and way more focused on climbing and climbing was objectively going better for me at that time. Like I'm happier <laughs> now doing this and I would continue doing it even if I couldn't climb at all. And yet because I can climb, I continually get caught up in the expectations that I have for my own climbing that are totally unreasonable given the amount of attention I'm giving to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, all that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at and why I was so interested in this part of our conversation. But I'd really love to hear how you cycle your own focus between climbing and your business and what that looks like. And I think that'd be a really great thing for a lot of other people to hear too, because I'm, I'm sure that, you know, whether it's cycling your priorities between climbing and more family time or your business mm -hmm. or your work or whatever it is, I'm sure that we can all relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for telling us a little bit more about what's going on behind the mic <laughs> especially you know that that really cool experience of this thing that we're appreciating we're learning from we're psyched on and and seeing the human side of what that means to create and to create something really passion and purpose-driven um yeah so thank you and <laughs> i think beyond that beyond what it means to to us as listeners in this moment or you know as we've um connected with you in the past via the podcast it's it's also a very real experience for any of us and i'm sure if we reflected we'd see that just that values and priorities question is something that comes up outside of outside of climbing but we can see in in a lot of different moments of our life like well is it more important for me to connect with my partner right now or finish this project and i'll start by saying like a lot of things in life, there's no right or wrong answer to priorities, mm. that it, they're ours. That's the beauty and the, the probably the scary challenge is that there's no guidebook. No one's <laughs> going to, no one's going to say like, this is the one that's most important to you right now. And this is how you prioritize it. And this is how you interact with the other stuff. Here it is here. Like, here's the rules. No one does that with a lot of stuff in life. Uh, and this is, this is one of them. And I think what's so 
for me, so effective and so beautiful about actually being aware of our, of our priorities is that then we can honor them to their dues. That if it is important, we actually treat it as such. And if it's not important, then we unweight it in that way. Hmm. So this is something that for me came out of my personal experience as a coach building my business and a climber. I, like you, started my private practice coaching, working primarily remotely so that I could climb. Like that was 100% of the reason why I started my practice in the way that I did and why I started coaching. Like I was teaching at the university um, oh, or at the really? college. Yeah, I was teaching at the college and I was didn't want to teach in person anymore. I had started doing some online classes and they wanted me to come back in person. And I was like, no, I was in Spain at the time. They wanted me to come back for the next semester to teach in person. And I was like, no way. I do not want to do that. So that was that was the the come to Jesus moment where I was like, this is this is what at least I want to try it. And at mm. first it, it was hard. It was so hard. And I think that's the growing pain that is hard to go through is because it was super hard. I didn't want to prioritize the business sometimes. I didn't want to prioritize climbing sometimes because it, it meant loosening the grip and loosening the control on the other stuff. And I would rather have just been like, I can balance all of these plates, but I can't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, but, you know, like I tapped into what I know about myself. I tapped into the tools and the skills and the resources that I've developed and that I learn and relearn with my clients all the time. That's one of the most amazing things about being a coach. And I was like, well, so these are my values. These are things that I value. And these are, these are why. But values are the big picture. They're the like whole life thing. But within those, there are priorities and those priorities are movable. And for, for most people, we can really, we can really only have one priority because that's why it's called a, a priority. It is the top. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's not supposed to be plural. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Priorities. And th that was, that was, I think what I started learning with like Joe Sixpack, that was one of the moments where I was like, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to have to hustle this this business is private practice if it's going to survive. And I have to keep that relationship exceptionally healthy for my own well-being hmm. um, and for the for the future of this thing. And insert whatever you want into that. Your family, I need to keep the relationship healthy with, with this project at work, like whatever it is. But that for me, I recognized that it was in a crucial tipping point. And so I had to I had to stay present with that. I couldn't bail on, you know, for me at that time, I couldn't bail on my business. Um, and it would have been avoiding my business, essentially, and avoiding this very, very important thing to me, um, just because of the habit of rock climbing. And it was hard to go from projecting that was not working for me to just playing because I was like, I'm going to get weaker. And for most climbers, that's a really scary thought hmm. of, of like, I'm trained up. And, you know, like I'm, I'm this strong. And if I don't keep up with this level, I will get weaker. We're either getting stronger or we're getting weaker, which is fine if we accept it and, you know, like roll with the flow of that. And that's always tough for me as I transition from one to the other. And I'll find sometimes that I um, will overextend one of the cycles this happens every now and then I'll overextend a cycle because I'm like, oh, but I'm having a lot of fun. And I like, what if I just stay a little bit more engaged in the business or in, in rock climbing? 
and then I'll get even more good results.、Hmm. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes I'm just like in a trajectory, and I'm afraid to transition,、mm-hmm. which is really hard. We're like, I know the rules of this now, but the cycle has kind of come back around, and it's for me the life that I lead. It's then it becomes time to do something else. Like I think, you know, I'm talking about a business that I want to grow because it's my it's my financial security. But like I've had that experience with my partner, where it's like, where I recognize that okay, my training and season in Yosemite has been amazing. Now I need to go home and be with my person that I love,、hmm. and and really tend to that sandbox, that space,、hmm. because I I want that to continue to grow. To what extent do you th- plan in these cycles, these two to three month cycles? Is the two to three month thing is that just kind of your observation of what's typical, or do you plan that intentionally? Do you just kind of go by feel? Um, it kind of depends on. For me, it's like what's inspiring me, basically. Okay. Um, like one of my goals is to get back on Joe Six Pack, and that's pretty winter. Climbing, okay.、Um, like very late fall into maybe into early spring, but you kind of suffer out there in the winter. So I'm like, okay, well, I have once I get back to Salt Lake, I'll have access to a gym again, which I think I'll use. I'm pretty sure, even though it's like weird contagion right now. But、I'm、like, okay, well, I'll get back there. I'll have access to training that is more inspiring to me than like hangboarding off of my van. <laughs>、um, <laughs> So and, and that's it too. Like, what am I inspired by? Like, I don't want to hangboard by myself off my van right now. Sometimes I've done that.、Mm-hmm. I have definitely done that, and I've been psyched, and I've been like, "Cool, see you guys in forty-five minutes. I'm going to hangboard." Right now, zero interest in such a thing.、Mm-hmm. I want to hang out. I'm like, I'm hanging out with my family. I want to hang out with my nieces, go for runs. Like, just don't want to do that at all. And so for me, it's like, what's inspiring me? What will it take to do that thing? Like some colleagues and I are planning a retreat that actually relates to a lot of what we've been talking about, and right now that's on the back burner because it's not close. But at some point, I'm going to have to be head down planning that retreat, for example.、Mm-hmm. But not right now. So does that make sense? Like it's kind of it's kind of timeliness.、Um, what I have access to. Um, like right now, I there's not a lot of climbers up where I am in northern Idaho, so like. There's not just not a lot of climbing to be done. So for me to be prioritizing climbing right now, like it doesn't fit in the reality. So I'm、yeah. prioritizing family and work more family than work right now.、Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. One thing that I thought of for myself when you and I talked on the phone the other day is that you know it's, and I think people hearing this, I want to make sure that it's really clear that you're not talking about stopping everything else necessarily. It's、right. really just a shift in. What you're acknowledging is important、mm-hmm. to you, and I think、mm-hmm. that's where that's what I'm recognizing in myself right now is like I'm going to continue to work on this podcast and I'm going to continue to climb as much as I can.、Mm-hmm. But it's really it goes back to your self awareness and mindfulness thing. I just need to constantly remind myself that climbing is not my priority right now, and let、mm-hmm. go of those expectations that、yeah. so easily come back in. Like I will.、Oh, Over the course of like a day, I will slip back into holding myself to expectations that would have made sense three years ago,、mm-hmm. when I was、yeah. training 
constantly and pouring everything into climbing and had really nothing else going on in my life <laughs> that I was mm-hmm. very interested mm-hmm. in. It's so easy to hold myself to that standard. And yeah, I think your, your cycling exercise for me at least is going to be just like a, just a constant or, or just a continual reminder, a practice of reminding myself like, Hey, climbing is not your priority. And so chill out, like, be mm. kinder to yourself and go easier on yourself yeah. and yeah. stop expecting yeah. yourself to be the best you've ever been. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the things that jumped out at me when you were sharing your experience of what the podcast means to you, some of your inspiration and motivation within it was you said, um, I want to be a real life success story. Mm. And the first feeling that that jumped out of me was a sense of pressure Mm. Mm -hmm. and that that pressure in the face of you know like you have this this like this thing that you're raising out of nothing to do that work that mental emotional physical work alongside the pressure of you also have to be excelling in this other thing (laughs) like we we kind of we just have finite time and energy emotionally mentally physically and to try to hold you know talk about spinning plates like to try to hold that plate that spinning plate up of that pressure of amalgamating all this rad information and creating more content for people those are really big weighty cumbersome things in their own right and to try to do them at the same time Hmm. is hard and 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 the beautiful thing is like they're both valid they're both valid they're both important they're both what's what's alive in you and to try to you know do both of them at the same time we kind of fail to honor one or both of them really in that moment right i feel that i feel that lately yeah. And it's, you know, when you zoom out a little bit, it's really easy to see. I was actually talking to Mike about this on the phone. He was asking yeah. me how I was doing, Mike Doyle. He was asking yeah. me how I was doing. And I kind of got into some of this, like, man, you know, I've, I've kind of never felt less focused on my climbing and I'm finally like living the, you know, in air quotes dream that I'd always thought <laughs> about. And I think it's such a common story, but He said something really helpful, you know, and it it just kind of helped snap me out. He's just like, man, you've got at least 15 years of performance rock climbing ahead of you as long as you, like, don't be an asshole and take care of your body the way way that you need to and those simple things. And I I think I agree with him. I think deep down I truly agree with him because there's so many examples these days of people that are not only still climbing hard but climbing their hardest in their mid-40s, late-40s, whatever – so I agree with him. And when I zoom out and look at it that way, it's like, man, if I put that aside for now, for a little bit and really focus on building this, like that's kind of a no brainer, but it's, (laughs) it's just, right. I don't know. It's like surprisingly, it's just shocking how easy it is to lose sight of that when you're at the cliff. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And it, it, so much of that goes back to habits and thought habits Hmm. and the things that we cling to, you know, as climbers cling to, like, I have to stay, I have to train, whatever your have to is, whatever your must or, or whatever is, yeah, your shoulds, shoulding on yourself, um, (laughs) 
is it's a very, very, very limited, fairly mindless perspective. But it, it's habit. It's very habit driven of like, this is how I do things. And it worked in the past. And so I will continue to do it doggedly hmm. without without paying attention to the outcome or effect or whatever. And th- yeah, that's we, we kind of talked about this on the phone of like, what? so then what, what's the space for bearing down and doing the hard thing? And I think that where it is, is when you do it deliberately, when you're like, this is important to me. And if I don't do this, I'm denying a part of myself. I'm denying something I need from life. I'm denying inspiration. I'm denying my needs. That's when you bear down, Hmm. you know, And, and that you can talk about that with anything like denying the need to bear down and finish this route, denying the need to bear down and train or denying the need to like really dig in and do the hard work in a relationship hmm. or in for a project at work, because that's um, it's not all casual fun times. It's also sometimes we have to to do the hard thing and we get to determine that for ourselves. Hmm. Well, I could go on with (laughs) with you talking about all this stuff probably all day, but I want to respect your time. I know you have to go soon. So um, let's let's start wrapping up here. I'd love to ask you, what is something that you felt especially grateful for lately? Mm. So I'm staying at my mom's place up in northern Idaho. I've been here for the last like week and a half or so, and I am super grateful Speaking of relationships, I am incredibly grateful for the relationship she and I have developed hmm. as adults. I am just like That's, wildly grateful for that. That is awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It is really cool. <laughs> There's another question that I that I sent you in an email, and I yeah, haven't yeah. vetted it with you to make sure you're comfortable with it, but I, I'll just go ahead and ask it and see, okay. <laughs> see what you think, and yeah. we can skip it. I know, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, is there an area of mindfulness or self-awareness that you're working on right now? Yeah, I really like this question and I'm glad that you asked it because that's super real. I think that's as as a coach or whatever, I talk a lot and like all this philosophy and whatever. And it can seem, though I try to be mindful, it can seem like oh, I do all of this stuff. I'm perfect at, I'm really good at cycling my priorities. I'm really <laughs> good at being mindful. But like, totally. Right. <laughs> and I learned this stuff and I practice and I can talk about it so eloquently because I've like gone through the gauntlet of a lot of these things. So definitely at like, I won't say always, but often finding a new facet of mindfulness um, to to explore, to whatever to work on. So lately what I've been working with is the experience of being mindfully frustrated or angry, basically being mindful that anger or frustration is initiatory. It's to like get your attention. Hmm. Um, But that it is, if we stay in a place of anger, not a lot gets done. And so I'm, what I've been working on lately is noticing the physical, mental, emotional sensations of anger or frustration or, you know, discontentment. And then like, okay, I'm paying attention. And 
what's going on here? What isn't working? What part of me is not, you know, t- being taken care of in this moment? And then looking at that. Hmm. So that that's what I've been um, been exploring more. I mean, in different ways all the time, but that's definitely been an area of of ever increasing growth. But I think something I'm more focusing on lately of um, how I interact with the experiences of anger. Okay, mindfully. Yeah. Did that stem out of frustration and anger with climbing or uh, or other things, or is it just are you? Are you just thinking like more holistically like, oh, that's an area that I still have a lot of room for improvement? I think it probably mostly came out of my partnership. Okay. I've definitely had experiences of anger and frustration in climbing, but not not as much in in a quite a while actually. Mm-hmm. But just finding like like wow, him saying something or us having a conversation and me suddenly being like like seeing red or, or just being, yeah, I guess put it that way. Just like, like seeing red mm. and starting to catch that, to notice who like, Ooh, wow. There's like that clenching in my gut. Like, well, I don't want to keep, I don't want to stay in this space because I, like we all know what happens. <laughs> like, wow, I'm so- angry about something. Yeah. <laughs> something yeah. just made me angry. What is that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> and it's like getting curious with it. Yeah. Um, because that's because I definitely know the the experience of of seeing red and then being like, All right, that's the truth. I hate everything. Like you all suck. <laughs> I wanna break up with you. And that's not the actual truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love you, Tony. Um, <laughs> um but God damn, in the moment, it can feel like this is it. Like, I'm I'm totally blind. I have no idea. Um, and it's taken, it's definitely taken work on my part and conversation with Tony of, of his own experiences on the other side hmm. of, yeah, of, of when we get those, like, those sharp emotions, sharp feelings, sharp aversions, whatever, to slow down with ourselves because when we ride, like when you ride the wave of anger, like it ain't going anywhere you want to go, at least for me. So I, just choosing to get off of the get off of the ride and actually look around mm. at, at what at what I want and need in that moment rather than just flying off the handle or something. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's cool. Yeah. Where can people find you and how can people work with you? Yeah, really good question. Uh, so my private practice is Pivot Wellness, and my website is startyourpivot.com. And I have different options. Um, I have one option that's really cool and something. another thing I have a lot of gratitude for. Um, I have, like, a donation-based meditation group that meets every week. I have other coaching groups. I have one-on-one coaching. Is this all online-based? Yep, all pretty much all online-based. Cool. Um, yeah, and coming up soon, and I kind of alluded to this before, another thing that folks might be, especially with this podcast, might be interested in, some other colleagues, coaches, rock climbers, um, three of us, are develop in the midst of developing a kind of retreat festival that definitely centers around a lot of what we've been talking about of kind of up leveling our performance climbing and up leveling the intersection between climbing and real life mm. 
in a deliberate way that includes crushing <laughs> rock climbing and other cool things in our life and how, what that looks like. Um, so that's something that we've been developing. And with COVID, the actual gathering has been put off. But that's something that we're super excited. It, that It's um, Climb Well is the is the festival okay. name. So, so that'll be coming up hopefully as soon as we all can gather in groups. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> TBD. Is there, yeah, is there TBD. any talk about doing that or offering something like that in an online space or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's, that's where we're at now is trying to determine what inspires us to do online with this space. Cause there are definitely some conversations, but so much of it that really lights us up is the experiential and community part of it. Mm. But what does that look like now? Because just because we can't meet in person doesn't mean these conversations and these skills don't hold water. So what does that look like? And that's that's kind of where we're at at this point, just kind of getting to the point of embracing, all right, we're not going to have it this fall. So how do we want to do that? And so, yeah, if anybody has any feedback about what they would like to learn about via virtual workshopping that relates to climbing life balance, goal meeting, mindful performance climbing, things like that. We would love feedback. And that's something that we're going to be reaching out about in the coming weeks. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Let's stay in touch and I'll point people towards towards whatever you put out in the next few weeks. Sweet. Brilliant. Thank you. Awesome. Great. Uh, one last question. Yeah. I, this is another one from the email and I haven't talked to you about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have an answer. Uh, would you be willing to to give like one piece of homework for people, maybe like one way that we can all start practicing better self-awareness or mindfulness or did anything like that come to mind when I asked that? Yeah. Um, there are definitely a few things. It can be more than I'd one. I'd say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brevity is always, is always hard, but is really important. I would say if there's one main thing I would offer and suggest that in times when you're feeling tense or things aren't going how you intended or envisioned or whatever, to slow down and take a breath. Hmm. And, and you know, whatever whatever could be the cue for that breath, feeling off base, feeling off center, um, feeling tense, scared, angry, whatever. Slow down, take one single breath and and see where that goes as a way to literally slow your brain down from the you know the really quick trajectory it's it's taking you into like survival mode Hmm. so that would be one thing and and just pay attention pay attention and there's no right or wrong answers pay attention and continue practicing and staying curious because the the road to behavior change is very long Hmm. and it's not indefinite but it does take time and so something like slowing down and taking a breath is is a way to stay on that track of, of changing a behavior and just freaking stay patient. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to change behaviors. And that's a lot. That's a lot of the work that I do is around. It boils down to behavior change. Mm-hmm. And we can all get really frustrated. I get really frustrated. Like, well, I've been working on this. And why is it not like totally perfect yet? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I still have to remind myself every yeah. day yeah. to have lower expectations for my climbing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bingo. Well, Blake, the, thank you so much for, for reaching out and for your time today. Yeah. I feel like I got a free life coaching session out of this. <laughs> Maybe two if you count our phone call the other day. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate it. I'm really glad you reached out. And um, yeah. And yeah, I'm curious to see what people have to say. Feel free to send us yeah. feedback, folks. And um, it'd be great to have you back on the show. Yes, I, I'd be willing. psyched. I, yeah, I, I appreciate your what you're offering, folks, and I appreciate your willingness to, to not only have this conversation but really have this conversation <laughs> um, because it's it's definitely one that we could have stayed very philosophical and abstract about, and we really had it. And thanks for thanks for sharing your experiences and also asking about mine. Hmm. That was that's what makes this more than just like, you know self-help ambiguity whatever. <laughs> but exactly yeah. that's why i did it <laughs> yeah <laughs> beautiful well thanks so much it's such a great conversation thank you thank you too i hope you have a yeah. great day yeah bye okay bye <laughs> thank you guys for listening to that one and thank you again to blake for such an open and honest conversation about something that affects all of us. I hope you guys got something out of that. If you did, I'd love to ask you a favor. Think of someone who might benefit from listening to this episode and send it to them. I'd really appreciate it and it really helps out the show and hopefully it will help them out too. I love you guys. I appreciate you all. Take care. We'll see you next time. We got the right stuff. We put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us? You, you better stick around. If you want it, you gotta prove it. Like we do it. Like we do it. Room with your hips up. You don't stop when the clock is 13. You've been learning and you're earning all of those hours you can freak out one in a million gonna shine bright and you never go dim sing it one two three four cuz 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 no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it cuz no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it cuz no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it cuz no one can do it like we do it like we do it like we do it we got the right